Welcome to Teen Wealth Radio, a show just for teens, their parents, and educators to come together and discuss the issues that are affecting our youth today. Your host is Brandy England. Brandy is joined each week by amazing guests, as well as a regular panel of co-hosts who are here to give you ideas and encouragement every step of the way. We also have plenty of other surprises on today's show. So let's get started. Here's your host, Brandy England. Alrighty, hi everyone and welcome to the show. Uh, you may hear that it is not Brandy. You've got your regular panel of co-hosts here, Rebecca Shalana, and we've got Sarah with us today as well. Hello. Uh, so today we're really, really excited about this next guest. We have got Dr. Caitlin Goldsmith and she holds a PhD in clinical psych and is a registered um, psychologist and instructor in the Department of Psychology at the University of British Columbia. Um, teaching human sexuality and today we're going to be talking about sex, sexual relationships, mental health difficulties, all that sort of things and and this is what Dr. Caitlin uh, specializes in. She has published several scholarly articles and book chapters in the area of women's sexual health and well-being and has been featured in several well-known publications such as Glamour and Cosmopolitan magazines which is amazing. So thank you for being with us uh, Dr. Caitlin. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. We have, like I said, we're like so excited for this one. We've been talking about it um, through the week, like getting ready to ask you a whole bunch of questions. So I hope you're ready to hear that. I'm ready. Um, yeah. So why don't we start by um, tell us a little bit about who you are, what what exactly is your job, and how did you get into it? Yeah, for sure. So I'm a clinical psychologist here in Vancouver, BC. So um, I hold a few different roles. I work at Vancouver General Hospital, where I work in the women's clinic with uh, women who come in with various sexual difficulties, especially related to sexual pain. Um, and then I teach at the uh, University of British Columbia. I teach human sexuality. And I also have a private practice where I see teens and adults with uh, relationships and sexual health concerns. Mm. Yeah. And what drew you to this line of work? Like how, how did you find yourself in sexual health? Um, you know, it was sort of by accident. People often ask that when you're in the field of sexual health, right? Because it's, I don't know, it's, it's interesting, right? But people, um, you know, for me, it wasn't something that I had planned on. I went into psychology, like during my undergraduate degree, and then I just ended up really liking all the courses. And then one day, I um, took, you know how you can do like surveys for credit, like participate in research. So I filled out this sexuality online survey for one of the researchers in the department and I just found it really fascinating. So I went in to talk one of the graduate students who was running the study and we got into this great conversation and, and she was like, you should come and volunteer in the lab and, you know, learn more about this. So that's basically how it happened. Basically, I did my honors thesis in that and then did my whole PhD studying uh, sex. So and and why do you think that uh, sexual health as as a field is important? I think I think although that we're getting better and better as a society in terms of discussing sexual health issues, I think we still have a long way to go. I think that you know sexuality is often overlooked as a part of our overall health and wellness. Mm -hmm. It really is such an important piece um, of our overall health. So I, you know, I'm always advocating to kind of have more awareness around sexual health and sexual health education. 
Mm, I'm totally on board with that as well. And, you know, being being that this show is Teen Wealth Radio and, and we have a focus on teens um, and, and their relationships and we have a lot of teenagers listening uh, as well as their parents and educators, what is, like, something that you think is really important for, for people to understand about uh, sexual health when it pertains to, like, teens especially? Yeah, yeah. I think that... Uh, for teens in particular, I think there's sort of, there's this awkwardness in terms of accessing quality information around sexual health. And although a lot of teens, you know, they'll say they get great information at school, which is awesome. And we have some great initiatives like, you know, here in BC around sexual health, often the information, um, there's not enough and they still want more. So because of that, I think it's really important for, you know, Uh, parents of teens to really start to figure out how to bring up these issues and how to kind of integrate sexual health education because teens really do want that information. And there's kind of like this awkwardness, I think, between both teens and parents in terms of how to actually communicate about these things. But the desire is there. Teens want to learn. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. And I imagine, like, you know, let's expand a little bit on that, because uh, we're we're all three different um, women from different backgrounds. Let's talk about our own uh, experiences there. Do you think that this was reflected in the way that you grew up, Caitlin? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, like a lot of other um, people, you know, a lot of clients that I talk to now, one of the most common responses I hear about, you know, what kind of sex um, health education did you receive? And like so many other people, it's kind of like, well, nothing, like nobody, Mm -hmm. it just wasn't really talked about at all. Right. And I think that's a really important point because not saying anything is a message. Right. And I think it's a message that we shouldn't talk about sex. Right. And so that's a message that I think a lot of us get um, and, and it has a big impact on teens. I totally agree with that. What about you, Sarah? Oh, absolutely. I, How agree, did- with, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I just I remember being in I think we did something called like planning 10 here in BC and you have to go through all your careers and there's a health section to it as well and I just remember I was in grade 10 I was listening to this male PE teacher talk about these kind of sexual things and it was in the context it's fine obviously but it was just I never felt like I got those conversations early enough where I felt like comfortable enough to talk about it later Mm -hmm. on and how did that like impact you I think it made me a little weary of sex for a while. And I think I kind of twisted it to think that it wasn't about my own pleasure in it. It was kind of about satisfying other people in it. And I think learning how to talk about sex really taught me that it's something that two people or like they share and it should be something that is talked about and communication is so important when you talk about sex with someone. I totally, totally agree. For for my experience, I was uh, very much in the, the Catholic system. So the sexual education that we had was don't have it. So uh, <laughs> my, um, my opinion of sex, uh, the way that uh, my attitude around like sex was formed was very much that it was something that wasn't mine. It was something that was to be kept uh, for my husband. It, it was something that would make me unpure if I if I um, 
wanted to explore it and things like that. And I think that really did a lot of damage to me and I had to do a lot of untangling. Um, and, you know, when I, when I really did find my voice within like sexual empowerment, I felt so much more at home in my skin. It had all of these like domino effects of, of how much better and more confident I was as a person when I had like, you know, unlocked this door of uh, sexual empowerment. Is, is that something that you sort of see as a common uh, thread at all, um, Caitlin? Yeah, I, I think absolutely right. And I think what you're touching on there is really, you know, the the guilt and the shame that can go along with being sexual, right? And and that's the thing about sexuality. It's so tied up in, you know, political and, you know, cultural and ethical and religious. All of these factors really come into play um, and, and can create a lot of kind of negativity and shame around sex, which absolutely teens can, you know, bring into their adult life and have to unpack later on. Mm, I totally think so. Like, Sarah, did you, um, did you have any sort of religious impacts as well? Or, or were you, what sort of system were you in? No, I wouldn't say that I, uh, religion kind of had anything to do with the conversations that I had. Um, I went to a public school. It was a good school. It's just, we didn't really have those conversations and sex was kind of talked about in the hallway. It was more of a game. It was more, who could you get? What happened? How young were you? Instead of the conversations mm. about the how consensual, like how consent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, I know what you're like saying. Sensual yeah. sex. Like what is that? We didn't have those conversations. I I remember we had presentations um where police officers would come in and they would talk about these parties where um harassment would happen and it was never the conversations of how do we work on that. It was just be careful. Yeah, I think I think for me the conversations that surrounded it, it was more about like what you should and shouldn't be doing um, by way of expectations, as opposed to what you wanted to be doing. Mm. And and that was like really difficult for me to sort of like unravel. And then like you know you you try to talk to your parents about it, but I don't know. Um, Caitlin, how do you feel about you know you're saying with all this the stigma that's attached to it and it's heavily weighted and you know guilt, shame, religion, culture, and politics? Do you think? that you know sex has like that there's a place for religion or culture to to be in conversations about sex I mean I think absolutely right like we can't say just because somebody you know is religious or you know comes from you know maybe a fundamentalist background you know that they can't have a fulfilling um sexual life you know I think what it's about mm -hmm. is it's really defining what that means for yourself. What are your sexual values? What what do you define as your own sexual health and what sexual satisfaction kind of means to you? And then living in a way that's true to that. Yeah, yeah, I think there's just so much to unpack about sex because as you say, it's so like interconnected with all of these other issues that, you know, it's kind of unavoidable to not talk about your religious background or your cultural and all that sort of thing when it comes to sex. But there still needs to be a little bit of separation in order to find where you sit in like the sexual spectrum. And I don't know, like how do you how do you sort of unpack that with your with your clients? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of it really comes down to sex education, which, you know, has come up as, as we're talking. And it's really true that people don't have even basic sexual education, even as adults. 
right? So I find that when I'm teaching, so at UBC, I teach a third year, like an upper level undergraduate course. And I've had so many students, I can't even count how many who've said, wow, this is the first time I feel like I've ever had sex education, like good sex education in my life. Um, and, and just by opening that up and just by, you know, an openness and a curiosity and a willingness to learn a little bit and to unpack, you know, your own kind of biases and maybe some, you know, limiting beliefs or, you know, these different things that can have a huge impact on sexuality, just understanding yourself better and having some good sexual education can be so helpful in kind of defining what it is that uh, you believe is sexual health for you. Mm -hmm. Sarah, what do you think? I mean, Sarah, oh. yes, <laughs> I mean, I, I agree. I think like as you kind of grow up, as you experience more that that part of your sexuality and that part of yourself, you become more sure, you become more confident and you know what you want and you know how to talk about it. And um, yeah, I think I think learning how to talk about it in the first place is probably where you begin. Yeah, I agree. There's such a stigma around sex and all of these things. And I think, um, you know, there's too often people are afraid to talk about it or um, they realize that it's not like, like they take on the opinion that it's not something that's theirs. It's something like it's part of a bigger idea. But, um, you know, I think a lot of our personalities and, and what we do and what we decide is is like right for us it ha like it's strongly tied to like sexual health and and what we feel mm -hmm. yeah know. yeah um i am curious caitlin um when you speak to people when do you suggest you have these conversations like at what age right right yeah, and this is a really common question that parents ask oftentimes, right? When do I bring this up and, and all of this? And and really what I what I always say is that, you know, it actually starts from like, you know, babyhood, right? Um, there's a fabulous book called um, From Diapers to Dating, and it talks about sexual health education all the way from, you know, very, very little. And when you think of that, you might be like, oh my goodness, well, what sexual education am I going to talk, you know, with a three-year-old, right? But the sexual health education starts with something as simple as, you know, learning the correct uh, names for your genitals, right? Um, having conversations when things come up on TV, right? As a preteen and, and saying, oh, like, what, what does that mean that there's a same-sex relationship and bringing up a conversation around that? So many parents feel like they need to have the talk at some point, kind of this one time when they bring it up. But really, it's an ongoing conversation. And that's the best way to, to create an openness and a space to discuss sexuality. And really what it's about is finding those teachable moments, right? So as you're, you know, exposed to things in the, in the media or you're sitting with your child and watching something on TV or looking at something on social media or hearing people, you know, refer to genitals with wrong names um, and having a conversation about that, you know, seeing what they think, you know, offering your opinion and also remembering that you don't have to know everything. You can say, let's find out together. <laughs> Right. There's this pressure to know all the answers and, and you know, nobody does. So uh, being open to, to learning as well is really important. I love that you said that because, yeah, as we as humans, we don't have all the answers. And I think showing that in those conversations is 
kind of the key because you want to be on the same level as someone. And if you don't know, you don't want to share information that you're not sure about. And being able to find that information together is another great way to learn and keep that conversation going. Um, so with that being said, we are going to take a very quick little break here. And as soon as we get back, we'll talk more about how those conversations should look um, and how we can go more about that. Uh, so stay tuned and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hey you, yeah you, are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. All righty, everyone. Welcome back. You are on with Rebecca Shalon, Sarah Dunn, and Dr. Caitlin Goldsmith, and we are talking all things sex and sexual health. So, Caitlin, let's get back to, straight back into it. Um, I want to talk about how does sexual health impact how we form relationships? Yeah, yeah. So, so sexual health is it's basically one way of developing the capacity for intimacy with others, right? Like it's it's a way to to develop a relationship. So, from the very first 
you know, crush, you know, that people have and usually around like age eight or 10 or somewhere in there all the way through puberty, right. And experiencing things like sexual desire for the first time. Um, it, it totally impacts, um, it, how, how you form relationships and how you learn about attraction and also boundaries and communication. Mm, that is so important. And I love that you were talking about, you know, having a crush and things like that. Because I think a lot of the time uh, when people talk about sexual health, they think you're just kind of limiting it to the, the physical act itself. So as an all encompassing subject, what what is sexual health? Yeah, I mean, sexual health can be kind of as far as wide and wide as you think, right? There's a really great definition, you know, by the World Health Organization, which is that, you know, we've traditionally considered sexual health as being the absence of like disease, right? Or, or dysfunction. And, and that's really not an adequate definition. Sexual health is so much broader than that, right? It's physical, emotional, mental, and social well-being, told all in relation to mm -hmm. your sexuality. Totally. I, I definitely agree with that. And that's kind of um, part of the problem, isn't it? That people sort of treat sexual health as like the absence of STDs, as opposed to, you know, the impacts on, on you as an emotional being. Um, yeah. But yeah, do, do you think we talk enough about that? Like, how do we begin to change that rhetoric among our own circles? Yeah. And I think, you know, for those of us who were lucky enough to have sex ed in school, which is not everyone, most of the time it's focused on those factors, right? It's focused on STI prevention, right? Maybe some condom use, pregnancy prevention, right? Um, mm -hmm. And you know, that's on, you know, kind of the better end, right? Some of it is, is completely the abstinence-based, right? And just, we don't talk about this, we don't do this, and really kind of shame-based, like what you were describing, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. But I think um, the, the reality is, is that when we actually ask teens and the research out there around what they want to learn around sexuality is more around the relationship piece and, you know, how to communicate and what's normal for their age and, you know, are they similar to their peers and um, how to interpret, you know, the media and how to deal with social media and, um, you know, all these broader issues is what they actually want to learn about. Mm. I. Yeah, everything you're saying just like really hits home. I think it's so important. But, you know, let's expand on that. What you asked, you say that teens are asking, you know, what's normal? Like what is what is normal for a teenager that you you feel you have to be telling them a lot? Like when they're I can't speak right now, but you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one of the most common things that I hear, and this isn't, you know, it's teens, it's young adults, even um, older adults, is around some of our attitudes and media representations of casual sex and teen sex and desire for those kind of interactions, right? So a lot of teens are thinking that their peers are engaging in all the sexual activity and they're left out or they're behind. And sometimes this leads them to, you know, maybe, maybe you know, engage in sexual activity at an earlier age than maybe they would want to because they think it's what their peers are doing. Um, and the reality is that, you know, we hear a lot from people who are um, being sexual and we don't hear very much from those that aren't. So we get this perspective that people are having all of this um, casual sexual relationships and things like that when really uh, they might not be right so um, being aware that you know that's okay to to not be there yet and to to not be ready and to and to sit with that 
You're totally right. I I do remember feeling that pressure when I was younger, but also when when you because you mentioned the media as well. Look at the TV shows that they're watching, like the things where there's the massive fandom, the things like you know Riverdale and Sabrina. Um, and you know in Sabrina they have a literal festival about sex. Right. And they're like they're like playing 15 years old. And they're playing, what is it? It's like Saturnalia or something like that. And then in Riverdale, like the very first episode is glamorizing a relationship between him and a teacher having sex. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great examples of some of the messages out there. And and can you imagine, right, not having a, a background or an open place to kind of talk about this with a trusted person, um, how to make sense of that, right? And a lot of the times kids are turning to, you know, other friends and, you know, maybe they're kind of worried to say about how they're really feeling. So what kind of information are they getting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and further to that, you know, these these characters are often played by, you know, people my age. Like, I'm I'm 31, and I go for roles that are 17 years old, and I'm obviously a lot more developed than a teenager would be, and exactly. that's just how they're portrayed. Yeah, absolutely right, and and I think that's such a good point, is that we see that, you know, from, from childhood all the way into the teen, in, in the media, right, there's kind of this adultification of of teens especially in that sexual sense right and just mm-hmm. like sexual relationships that we're seeing um in these shows that are you know not necessarily at the best uh representations of sexuality and not providing a great context in terms of learning about things like consent and you know healthy relationships and and all of that yeah yeah. And well, yeah, just going back to relationships and you said that's how we, we form our boundaries and our relationships to other people, like how we, we figure out, you know, where we want to sit with that. But also it affects, you know, like how we form relationships with ourselves because oftentimes we talk about sex as, as a partnership activity and things like that. But it's also got to do with, you know, the intimacy and the relationship we have by ourselves. Oh yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. And I think I, I don't know, like getting a little, you know, TMI, but like we're trying to do our best to stop the stigma here. Like I, I definitely didn't feel comfortable exploring anything by, by myself in terms of sexual health when I was a teenager. Cause again, there was just like so much shame and I felt like it was something I had to do like in secret and I, I hated it and it really affected the way I, I formed like my relationship with myself and my sexuality and like how I presented myself to others as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, solo sex is something that many kids have a negative or shameful experience with at first because, you know, they may be caught by a parent or not even realizing that, you know, what sex is, right? And just exploring uh, their bodies in a pleasurable way, even as very young children, get uh, get a negative reaction from parents like, oh, don't do that and, and stop that, right? And even from that age, um, that's a message, right? About kind of exploring your own body and availability of pleasure and worthiness for pleasure and all of that how would you suggest that um a parent does handle coming across this like say say they've realized that their their child is starting to explore these things on their own and things like that what sort of language would you suggest to them to use instead of hey stop doing that 
Yeah, yeah. I think this is something where, I mean, it's going to be individual in terms of, you know, your own kind of approach and, and values, but even something like, you know what, oh my gosh, you know, that's something that, you know, that can feel really good. And that's something that, you know, you can do in private and you can explore that, but you know, it's not a place to do it in the dining room for whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I guess, you know, it's just changing uh, the way we frame it. So instead of like, don't do that that's wrong it's more about like how did you feel doing this and let's find an appropriate space for it and and discussing like what what the best place is to do that is yeah exactly and creating that yeah that boundary right what advice would you give to like uh parents that just uh, have a lot of difficulty approaching this subject with their teens like what can they do to to get more prepared to talk to their teens about this yeah, this is the most common thing, right? Because parents are really worried that they don't have the answers or they don't know how to bring this up. And I think, you know, oftentimes just like communication in general, um, exposing a little bit of that vulnerability is totally okay. Like with a teen and saying, hey, like, you know, I'm feeling kind of awkward about this, but I really want, you know, to create a space for you where you feel you can talk to me and I don't have all the answers about sex, but, you know, I'm here and like I'm willing to kind of explore and learn with you. And if you do have questions, like, please, like, let me know and we can figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I think further to that as well, a lot of parents avoid the conversation because in their minds, they're too young. So what what is like this too young mindset? Do you think there is a there is a too young to talk about sexual health and things pertaining to sex? Well, I think when we're looking really broadly at sexual health, there's actually some really great um, guidelines in the Can Canadian guidelines for sexual health education. And that's what our curriculum in BC is based on. And it's got some really helpful kind of tips around what age is appropriate to start uh, talking about these things. And it's awesome because even in kindergarten, they have, um, you know, sexual health and relationship oriented um, discussions, right? And these are around things like um, correct labels for genitalia, talking about boundaries for touching people, right? Asking permission if you want to give somebody a hug, um, you know, what to do if um, somebody does touch your private parts, right? And, and protection mm -hmm. and, and safety around that. So all the way, you know, from that to like media literacy and consent that's discussed in high school. So I think that there's definitely an age appropriate way to to discuss these things. Um, and, and that's a really good resource to look at if you're looking at specific ages. Mm, I love what you've said there. It's, it's not necessarily about um, someone being too young to discuss it. It's just about finding the age appropriate way to enforce these good ideals. And it, I think it's something that should happen, you know, from the get go, like, as you, as you were saying, like, you know, appropriate uh, reactions to being touched and things like that, like, you can say no to someone hugging you, and it's your body and, and knowing, you know, having agency over your body, and not just learning that, like, as an older sort of person. Yeah, absolutely. And doesn't it start there, right? How how we all we've all been in that situation where it's like, oh, you have to hug this relative that you don't want to, right? And we're really starting to examine, I think, as a society, mm -hmm. some of that, which is awesome. 
Totally. I I really, I relate to that. I have like a very large ethnic family and it was always like the minute you're there, you go wish your elders. doesn't matter what kind of mood you're in or anything. You always have to like hug and kiss every single person there, whether you want to or not. And that was, yeah. that's, that's maybe not the healthiest thing to <laughs> instill as, you know, like, yes, you can instill respect and you should always acknowledge someone. But I think, um, you know, giving up your personal space shouldn't be part of that yes exactly absolutely mm. not uh if you don't mind if i jump in here i do have a quick question for caitlin um we are talking about families and all of that and <laughs> mine asked quite a few questions to me and when i was a teenager i wasn't necessarily comfortable talking to them so i would get a lot of my information from my friends and um mm. a lot of the times it was it was difficult to bring those conversations up in more of an informative way. Uh, and so I'm just curious if you were a teen and you were looking to get more information and talk with your friends, do you have any open conversation starters or any kind of advice for teens who are looking to have open and informative conversations with their peers? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's such a good point. Like just the fear of even bringing it up, right? And it goes both ways. Parents are afraid to bring it up. Teens are afraid to bring it up. And how do you get the quality uh, materials? And it's something that's an authoritative source that's not just going to be, you know, inaccurate, right? So, you know, luckily we're, we're in the age of the internet, which is great. Uh, and it's great and terrible, right? There's, um, there's a lot of bad information out there too, but there's some really awesome um, sexual health um, websites. And actually Dr. Esther Perel recently compiled a list of some really great ones. Um, some of them are Scarletine, um, and then there's Amaze and Roo, R-O-O. And these are all, um, they all have basically information about relationships and sexual health for teens that I think are a great resource. And, you know, most teens have a smartphone that they can um, look up this information, right? If it's something that they want to learn more about and also, you know, bring it up and discuss it with friends and, you know, bring up these quality sources and, and have that, um, that conversation as well. Those resources you mentioned, are they all free? Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Look at that. There's so much information out there if you know where to look, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so you do have a lot of these conversations, and I'm wondering, what when you're having these conversations, do you encourage people to use, like, the words directly or euphemisms? Because sometimes those words, which I know is kind of not using them, encourages the stigma of them, but they can be really difficult for some people to hear for the first time as they're learning these things. So do you suggest just starting off right away by using the proper terms for anatomy or do you, or kind of euphemisms or where you would start to those conversations? Right. So, so yeah, you know, I think it's important to, as much as possible, be able to use those words, right? Even, especially, you know, when we're talking about anatomy and things like that for young kids, because the whole idea of using euphemisms, it's, it's tough because it, it really does instill that, that, uh, that feeling like it's, you shouldn't say the real word or it's bad or dirty or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So just go for it. 
Yeah, I think I think using the real words is um, is really important. Yeah, at all stages, and I think too, you know, for for parents or or educators, right? If there are words that are difficult for you to say or to to bring up, I think that's a really important thing to explore, right, mm-hmm. on your own, and why that is, and maybe what some of your beliefs or some of the challenges or difficulties that you might have in that area. Yeah, I like how you say that, because I think a part of growing up and just learning is finding where you're uncomfortable and finding out why, because those they are just words of anatomy. They're just a part of us. They shouldn't they shouldn't be words that we're afraid to say. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So we are going to take another quick break here. Um, So we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about these awesome conversations we're having and uh yeah we'll be right back guys thank you stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com Hey you, yeah you, are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everybody. You are chatting with Rebecca, Sarah, and Dr. Caitlin, and we are talking all things sex. Uh, So just before we left in the break, we were talking about um, resources and things like that, and Caitlin listed off um, a whole bunch of really great resources that people can go to. Um, But I want to expand on that. Um, 
let's start talking about like uh, the resources available to us and the fact that uh, heterosexuality seems to be, you know, the main narrative in that. Um, so let's talk about, you know, confusion about that, defining sexuality and what that means relating to sexual health. I know that's like a big thing, but go for it, Caitlin. <laughs> Choose a point. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's such an important point. And, you know, LGBTQ plus issues are so important and so important within the discussion of sexual health, of course. Um, I think it's so important to recognize the unique challenges of um, youth, right, who are who are just beginning to navigate their sexuality and then with an added challenge, right, of being a minority group. So we know that LGBT youth are still experiencing, you know, disproportionate amounts of bullying and um, harassment. And now we have, you know, the possibilities around cyberbullying, right? And, and all of those, um, those terrible things, as well as, you know, discrimination that, that still exists in our larger society to, so to really recognize, you know, what a big challenge that is, and that would be for a youth who's just kind of discovering that and, and starting to, you know, maybe realize that they might identify as a sexual minority. It's, it's absolutely huge. A hundred percent. Like, because we were talking about how you know just broaching the subject is is already awkward and and hard as it is. But when when you have this perceived additional uh, sort of almost a threat because you're not sure how your parents will like take it or or how your peers will take it. You know, um, what what are there any like uh, resources that they can go to that specifically speak to their experience? Yeah, so there's a really great, um, the project by um, Dan Savage called It Gets Better. Yeah, this is a project that he put together around stories and education for LGBTQ plus uh, youth and their stories around uh, coming out. And um, and that's a really great resource and things to read. Also, all of those resources that I listed before, so the, the websites Amaze, Rue, and Scarletine, those are very um, sex positive and very inclusive spaces online. Mm -hmm. So they really do a nice job of incorporating LGBTQ plus issues as well. So um, it, it's there's a lot out there for sure. Do you think it's important to define where you are in terms of sexuality on the spectrum before you can really like delve into sexual health? To put a label on your sexual identity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, labels can be overrated. <laughs> I think, you know, for some people, they're really useful and important, and that's great. And for some people, they're really not useful. Uh, some people are more comfortable with, you know, being unlabeled, right? And, and having that experience. And it doesn't, I don't think it, um, you know, it, it makes any, any less, right? It's about kind of what fits for the person, and I think it's more so kind of society getting around this idea of labels. I mean, we all love labels. It makes things easy to categorize people and to quickly label people. But I think, uh, you know, and especially with the younger generations, there's there's this openness, right, that's starting to be around looking at sexuality as more of a continuum and more fluid than we really ever have, which is really great and very helpful for those people who, you know, might be unlabeled and might be a little bit more fluid mm -hmm. I agree like there's there seems to be like a refreshing attitude among the youth where they're trying to like have that uh you know the growth mindset where it's not just one way or another they they want to hear all the options and see where they fall um and I think that's super super positive 
Um, so I guess part of the work we need to do in like changing this rhetoric is to, you know, try not to ask people what their labels are and just let it sort of fall where it may and not like, I don't, I don't know how to like say what I'm, I'm saying, but I think there's just, there's so much weight put behind on whether you're like gay, straight, LGBTQ, like any of the, the boxes, like people have a need to like put you in a box, otherwise it doesn't make sense. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think it's the same with with gender, right? People, mm. you know, that the first question people ask when you're born, is it a boy, is it a girl, right? It's And it somehow helps people to start to know how they might interact with that person or start to, mm. you know, have a conversation with the person. And it's really interesting to see that, right? That people sometimes feel they need that information in order to continue <laughs> with the conversation. Um, <laughs> But I think that's something that, you know, we we need to work on, I think, as a society. And I think, you know, the more I talk to teens, the more kind of impressed I am in terms of the collective consciousness around sexuality and around gender and the openness that's that's really uh, coming up, I think, these days. I think you make a really good point about that, um, because again like you know we talk about these cultural and political ties to sex and everything gender is definitely another one of those things that um society puts you know pressure on it's like if you're a female this is what you're supposed to like and and again that idea of like what is normal and things like that so i guess what we really need to do is just get rid of this idea of normal (laughs) (laughs) yeah and normal when it comes to sexuality is such um it's sort of like a useless term in some ways right because when we're talking about things like you know is it normal like if you know most people do it or don't do it is it normal if it's in a certain range and is it normal if it's you know in our dsm if there's a diagnosis right and there's all these different ways to really conceptualize normal and i think we need to start to start to expand that and realize that there there really is so much diversity and to appreciate it and 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 celebrate it yeah, I think we've touched on like a lot of subjects and, and we're realizing that sexual health is is really not in a box on its own. It's not just about, you know, the act of sex and the physicality of it. There's just so much more um, surrounding sexual health. What um, other concerns do you think relates to sexual health and, and what can like how can the sexual health issues be triggered? Like what other things do you think come before the sex conversation? Yeah, I think, you know, sexuality being part of our, you know, mental health and our physical health, anything that is a mental health difficulty is likely going to have an impact um, sexually, right? And, And sexual difficulties definitely do have an impact on mental health as well. Um, And, you know, there are so many things, you know, that kind of tie in with sexuality, like sexual self-esteem and self-worth and body image. And, you know, those are, you know, just a few of the things, right, that that come to mind when we're thinking about mental health issues that relate to sexuality, but it's huge. Mm -hmm. That, That is a really big thing, definitely touching on, you know, body image and things like that. I imagine, I I know you've done a lot of work with women's health and in the body image sort of sector. Um, I imagine that a lot of that led to, you know, uh, concerns with sexuality and things if, if they were struggling with their body, because how do you see yourself as a sexual entity if you, if you can't love your body? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And body image and and particularly for women, although we see it right in men as well and increasingly, right, as our media ideals, um, you know, become even more rigid for men as well. We see that, you know, body image concerns continue to be a major, major issue for teens, um, especially all of the transitions and puberty and hormones, everything that they're going through in terms of their body and adapting to that and being able to accept it and, you know, love their bodies through that transition is a tall order, right? It's really tough for many people. And I think, um, you know, even in, in terms of exposure to media, I think it's just, it seems to be just more and more because we don't not only have, you know, TV shows and, you know, magazines and advertisements, but social media has become so um, time consuming, right? Uh, Mm. For so many of us, right? I'm always shocked to look at my phone and how much time I've spent, uh, you know, looking at my screen. It's like shock. Oh yeah. Hours. (laughs) hours and you're thinking wow how did I really do right and kids teens are are on there you know sometimes even more and I think you know in particular uh, during this time during the whole pandemic being at home and having to um, you know do school remotely and things like that I know a lot of my teen clients have noticed that they've been using social media even more Well, you know, also uh, something I thought of as well, like uh, we've been talking a lot um, about sexual health and sexual um, issues as it relates to us being sexual beings at our core. But what about if you're not like, is there such a thing as not being like a sexual being? And, And how does this relate to all these questions and things that we're talking about? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so there's a whole, there's a whole literature and there's a whole identity around asexuality. Um, And this was something that was very much, I mean, it's been debated in the scientific literature a lot. So originally when people were reporting, you know, very low sexual desire, sexual attraction, that was kind of put on a spectrum with um, sexual desire disorders. So thinking, oh, they just are on this extreme end of low sexual desire. Um, But Actually, now, you know, what we know is that um, it is its own um, orientation, and that's where the scientific literature is at in terms of asexuality. So it's around 1% of the population, Um, not huge, but um, absolutely important, right, to to be aware of and to to recognize. Mm -hmm. I I think that's something, you know, that's often left out of the conversation as well because, again, we're talking about, like, the media and all of the messages that are, you know, thrust upon us, like, all of the teens in media are portrayed as these like horny, like very sexually charged people, but there's not really a place for someone who doesn't experience desire. Like they don't have their own storylines. Every single thing is attached to like some innate desire. Like how, how does someone identify that within themselves and, and where do they look for, for resources as well? Yeah. And I think, you know, in some ways it can be similar to the experience of being a sexual minority, like, you know, gay, lesbian, um, bisexual, um, in that, yeah, there's this kind of additional process of discovery and identifying, oh, hey, maybe I'm different from the norm. And what does that mean? So, so it's a big, um, it's a big thing to explore and to, to get through and to kind of come to. Um, and I, you're totally right. Like that it's would be so confusing in our kind of over-sexualized world to not identify with, with those feelings. Right. Um, but again, 
you know, given, you know, the, the recent research on asexuality, there is some really, really great uh, research out there and some that's come out of um, the University of British Columbia as well. Um, some uh, Morag Ewell, for example, and Laurie Brado have a lot of um, literature around this and have written some really great articles. So just even Googling their names, um, you'd come up with some great, um, great information and as well as those sites that I mentioned before they are inclusive yeah um caitlin as we're just finishing up this uh segment i'm just curious um we've talked a lot about having very open conversations and using the proper vocabulary um i'm just wondering if you'd be able to summarize and kind of let us know what do you think when we are having these conversations about sexual health with our kids with each other what do you think is the most important thing to keep in mind you know, I think the most important thing to keep in mind is that we're all learners, even, you know, sex researchers and sex therapists. This is such a rapidly growing field that, you know, half the time I don't feel like I know anything, right? Even though I've studied this for years now. But the fact is that there's so much new information coming out all of the time. And if you feel like you don't know that much about sexual health, you're probably right, right? And we're all kind of in that boat of, you know what, we need to, we need to learn more and just to be open to that and be okay with that and say, you know what, it's okay if I'm a learner. I can, mm. I can look up these things. I can be open about that um, with my uh, child and in also being open to learning from them. You know, I think this generation um, of teens has a really, really unique experience in terms of awareness of social movements, in terms of exposure to sexual health information. They've got a totally revised curriculum at school around sexual health education. So they have a lot to offer and to yeah. Well, that's yeah, that you definitely touch on like a lot of great points. And I think we've had a really, really, really great and productive conversation here. I love that you work in this field. I would love to have you back on the show and like dive more into these issues. Uh, but we have come to the end of our show. So I just want to thank Sarah um, and Dr. Caitlin Goldsmith for joining us. If you want to check her out, check out the links um, in our little bio on the screen. But thank you so much for joining us. Um, and yeah, please. thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. All right. All right, everyone. That's the end of our show. Tune in next week at five o'clock and we'll be talking about more issues for teen wealth. Thanks for being part of Teen Wealth Radio. Please join your host, Brandy England, her guests, and panel of experts again next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you here for the next show. Bye.